This week on Political Research Digest, did Facebook polarize and misinform the 2016 electorate? For the Niskin Center, I'm Matt Grossman. From Russian trolls to racist rhetoric, Facebook has been blamed for the divisive 2016 presidential election. So does Facebook direct users to diverse information or to fake news and ads that misinform, making us hate the other side? New research tracking opinion during the 2016 campaign suggests Facebook use was not responsible for our division. I talked to Michael Beam of Kent State University about his new Information, Communication, and Society article with Maya Hutchings and Jay Hemelowski, Facebook News and Depolarization, Reinforcing Spirals in the 2016 Election. They find no evidence that Facebook users developed more negative attitudes toward the other party or increasingly avoided news from the other side during the campaign. But perhaps there was a lot of misinformation delivered through Facebook ads. I also talked to Young Me Kim of the University of Wisconsin about her new article in Political Communication with eight co-authors, The Stealth Media, Groups and Targets Behind Divisive Issue Campaigns on Facebook. She finds that Facebook users in battleground states saw plenty of divisive ads from untrackable groups in the late stages of the campaign. So are we using social media to cocoon ourselves, seeing only news that fits our current views and perhaps even helping Donald Trump in 2016? Michael Beam says that's mostly a myth. Using Facebook for news uh, during this last 2016 election in the U.S. uh, did not lead to increased attitude polarization. There was a popular notion in the news and journalism and some tech circles that people who are using uh, Facebook and social media for news would be trapped in echo chambers or filter bubbles, basically being surrounded by news you already agree with. Uh, But our results show that people who use Facebook for news actually show modest levels of depolarization compared to those who don't use it. And we argue that that is happening because they're more likely than others to see news that they disagree with uh, come across their feed. The conventional wisdom is also out of step with most other research. Most of the empirical research that's looked at this area and the research we've done and and research that others have done has found that generally using technology and social media for news recommendations is related to a lot more information exposure, more information, more news that you agree with and more news that you disagree with. The 2016 election was quite different, but Beam says we should identify specific changes rather than blame social media for Trump. In 2016, I would argue that more information was probably flying when you used Facebook, but our data would not show, and I don't think, that sort of for the general Facebook user, the needle was moved in terms of people being more likely to support Trump because they were more likely to see misinformation. And I think for specific people, for specific groups, like people who have high conspiratorial beliefs, this is a great place uh, for them to be able to really get into this. But I think that's such a small share of the overall number and and sort of populace that I'm skeptical that that it made a big difference in terms of the vote. Beam used panel survey data to identify changes during the campaign. The survey data that we were given was 500 completed surveys for each of the three waves. The the same person took the survey three times, once right after the primary conventions end, uh, once 
believe it was right after the uh, debates ended. I think that was early October and then once in the week just before the election. At each time point, they looked at polarization, Facebook use, and consumption of news that agrees and disagrees with users' views. We measured affective polarization using a measure of uh, party feeling thermometers. So we asked people to rate using a clickable thermometer on a scale of 1 to 100 how they felt about the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. And then we took the difference of those two scores and that gave us a polarization score. That's a common way that affective polarization has been used in uh, political science literature for quite some time. So we also measured how frequently uh, people were using Facebook for news. Overall, the changes in views were quite minimal. We asked them three times, and then we looked at the change over time in their responses to those things. And we saw some slight changes over time, but by and large, these behaviors and attitudes stayed mostly static. If you don't ask repeatedly, it can look like Facebook is polarizing us, but that's because the already polarized gravitate to Facebook for their news. The 20% of people who news and politics are their hobby or their profession, they have very solidified attitudes that are going to be hard to change. So it's unsurprising to us that early on in the election, the people who are using these tools for news more are people that are more polarized at that time, because a lot of the people in uh, elections historically just aren't that interested or informed. So we find that throughout the election, we find this slight depolarization. Uh, again, it's, it's, it's very modest. It's one or two degrees on this 100-point feeling thermometer where we find that others have a one or two degree polarization uh, over time. In the end, we're looking at an average level of polarization that's 50 degrees on this 100-degree feeling thermometer. The change that did occur in 2016 was toward reduced ratings of the out party during the campaign, but the declines were minimal overall and actually less severe among Facebook news readers. We do see a slight negative dip across the sample in out party score, so people become more cold on their out party over time. And that's true not just in our 2016 data, but if we look at sort of the trends in the nation uh, over 30 or 40 years of affective polarization, it's not that we are becoming more gung-ho about our in-party. We're just becoming, we we dislike the out party more. And we see that here in our much smaller three-month window. So, you know, I can't tell you for certain that that there's this relationship over time between Facebook and out party. But considering that that's where most of the sort of change is happening, both in our and other studies when we look at data. Beam thinks that's because Facebook users were more likely to encounter news that disagreed with their political perspective. Going to those uh, counterattitudinal news stories and getting more involved in news, I suspect that that's where the out party changes, uh, that's where the change is happening. And it's likely, again, very slightly increases in out party scores. Overall, he finds that social media expands access to diverse sources of news. Using social and algorithmic news facilitates. Uh, more entry to news in general, um, both in the sort of election news and political news category, but also across the categories. So people who are interested in business news or people who are interested in sports news, that when you're using these 
social and algorithmic systems, you're reading more types of news from more sources of news. And he saw similar effects for Trump and Clinton supporters, mostly confirming that they did not seek out news against their views. We see very, very small differences in these variables. For pro-attitudinal news exposure, we see no differences. For counter-attitudinal news exposure, we see a very small but statistically uh, significant difference in two of the three waves. But if we look at sort of the mean values of those differences, it's a mean difference from Trump supporters at 07 and Clinton supporters at 0.99. And the indicator zero on this scale was I never see counterattitudinal news. And one was less than several times a month. But young me Kim found that most Facebook users saw a lot of suspicious ads in 2016. The key two top line findings we have. First, anonymous groups ran divisive issue campaigns, uh, including candidate attacks. And then second, these anonymous groups uh, targeted uh, better ground states such as Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, uh, low-income white voters. First of all, anonymous groups ran divisive issue campaigns, uh, and then anonymous groups include unidentifiable suspicious groups, uh, asterisk, uh, asterisk for movement and unregistered groups, or non-FS reporting uh, nonprofits. And we define suspicious groups as uh, basically unidentifiable, unknown <clears throat> groups who do not have a public footprint. So even after we match it with uh, Federal Election Commission reports, IRS databases, and other research bases, research databases, we could not find any information about uh, these sponsors. So those are uh, suspicious groups. And later, uh, one out of six our suspicious groups uh, turned out to be uh, Kremlin-linked uh, Russian groups. The volume of the ads run by these anonymous groups was four times larger than uh, FSA groups. Kim did not have to rely on self-reports. She saw the same ads her users did via an app. We developed an app that worked uh, like an ad blocker, but instead of blocking ads, the app captured ad content uh, and the meta information such as landing page information. Landing pages is the ultimate like a destination page. Again, if you click ad and where it leads us to. So we used this app uh, and uh, we captured nearly 5 million uh, paid ads on Facebook uh, exposed to uh, 10,000 volunteer, volunteer participants between September 28th and November 8th, 2016. She found that Facebook users saw many political ads leading up to Election Day, including some from Russian sources and others that looked just as shady. The conventional wisdom about the Facebook uh, was that like, people uh, probably don't get any political ads on the Facebook. And then my empirical research shows that there are a lot of ads. And actually, you know, 23% of all paid ads are political. That's quite a lot. And... Now, like a media, there was like a bit, uh, a lot of like a reports about uh, Russian uh, ads on the Facebook. Now we know that, you know, in based on our data, uh, there are quite a lot of like a Russian uh, groups on Facebook, and then they generated a lot of the ads. Only some of the ads were accompanied by organic news content, but the stories that did appear matched their ad content. 
some of the suspicious groups just to focus on like a paid ads. And if you uh, look at their Facebook pages, you know, like a, almost like a no information. It's just a collection of mean pictures or a collection of like a abstract artworks and things like that. Uh, some of the suspicious groups like a, uh, seem like a promote some uh, so-called like a fake news. So the paid ads are flattened to candidate text. But if we go to their Facebook pages, like so, if, say like you click on the ads and then it directed us to their Facebook pages, and then uh, if you look at all their organic posts, it's like a series of breaking news. Uh, but most of them are misleading information or false. Uh, information. Some of the suspicious groups are clearly extreme ideologists. By surveying users and observing their online activity, she was also able to investigate targeting. The reason we wanted to do like a surveys is because we wanted to reverse engineer like a targeting pattern because targeting is a sort of a black box uh, that it is based on algorithm groups like a you know, modeling or targeting matrices that are provided by like the Facebook. So it is largely unknown. Again, like, nobody actually knows. Uh, so then the only way we can uh, make an inferences uh, is to sort of reverse engineer like, to see uh, who are uh, more likely to see what types of ads. She found upper Midwest swing state targets. Voters are clearly targeted geographically, are targeted key, so key better states, uh, including Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Virginia. Those are the top three uh, states that are targeted the most. And especially Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, like a generally overlap with this, like a better ground states. And poor whites were specifically targeted for messages about race and immigration. Low income. Uh, voters whose household income is less than $40,000 were specifically targeted with the ads focusing on immigration and racial conflicts. White voters, uh, again, compared to uh, other racial groups, were also highly targeted with the issue of immigration. For example, white voters received about 44% more immigration ads than the average uh, voting age population. About 87% of all immigration ads targeted white voters. Instead of one big campaign, lots of small efforts added up to a lot of ads. We found that citizen issue campaigns are run by a large number of small groups, not big campaigns. So with just a few exceptions, most of those suspicious groups are just a small niche groups that like, nobody uh, ever heard about. But uh, when there are a large number of suspicious groups uh, like that on the digital platforms, uh, it will add up uh, and then have like, a you know, significant impact. Beam says both studies showed a lot of diversity of information, leaving voters to decide what is true. There is a consistency across our studies, and, and that is that Facebook is an important vector for all kinds of information, that when you're using these platforms, you're thrown into an information world um, and you're going to be exposed to a lot of stuff, stuff that's true and untrue, stuff that's right and on the left. And I think that's a really important point uh, and something that we can explore more in, in social science. That is, 
I mean, I think where we're at right now is people are not being isolated from particular types of information, um, which was this idea of a filter bubble. Instead, people are really getting the whole hose, you know, the, the whole stream of information, which then puts the onus on users to suss out, you know, what is reliable and what is not. But the picture from Kim's study is decidedly bleaker, as ads were designed to reinforce existing views or even suppress turnout rather than persuade. These ads that are targeted people who are already on board on the particular things. For example, with say like anti-immigration ads that get targeted people who are already uh, against uh, the immigration uh, policies. So it will just reinforce these people and then increase the like, cynicism about the mainstream politics and the, institu- the function of the like, institution in general. The other tactic we found is uh, the border suppression. So some ads, like, for example, anti-Hillary ads, targeted like, people who are you know, weak Democrats, for example. And then these people are clearly are exposed to the ads. Like, I will not vote for Hillary Clinton this election. And then it might not convert their voting decision, but it might be influencing whether they're going to turn out to vote. Beam says rather than blame Facebook, we should isolate the types of people and the uses most likely to be problematic. Facebook has become more of a scapegoat than it should be. But that's not to say that it's something that we shouldn't be attentive to. I think that there is an important point that we don't hear about a lot, and that is the fact that particular groups are very uh, attentive or engaged on social media. So, for example, our data shows that basically nobody is using Twitter. I mean, it's it's just, it's, it's a very select group of people that are using Twitter, but it does happen to be a place where journalists and academics do find themselves. So when we look at how people come about knowing what President Trump is tweeting, the vast majority of people, we published a book chapter that talked about how, you know, Republicans and Trump supporters themselves are actually far less likely to be on Twitter than others. But his supporters are still finding out what he says. And that's because they're finding out through the people who are on Twitter amplifying that voice. Primarily, that is, you know, journalists who are amplifying what he's saying and then finding out through television, radio or from their friend. Uh, So, you know, I don't want to say that social media is not having very real, both positive and negative impacts on our Uh, public discourse, but it's not so simple as people who use it are going to show these differences and people who don't aren't. But Kim says regulation is needed, at least to match what voters learn about television ads. Voters should know that that they have a right to know who are influenced them or even who are trying to manipulate them and then who are trying to get personal information uh, and then use that for what purposes. There's a lot more to learn. Political Research Digest is available bi-weekly from the Niskanen Center and on iTunes. I'm your host, Matt Grossman. Thanks to Young Me Kim and Michael Beam for joining me. Join us next time to find out whether American politics are nationalizing as voters tune out local media. 
and whether the news is still informing voters. 